Welcome to the Emerald City Hockey Podcast. Join RJ and Dylan as they discuss each week's Seattle Kraken news and top stories from around the league. When I was about 10 years old, my brother and I were playing hockey out in our driveway. And I was skating with the puck and my brother did something he doesn't normally do. So as I tried to make a move, he closed in on me and hit me with a big hip check, knocked me right onto the ground. Thankfully, I didn't land funny or anything, so I was okay. I was shaken, but I wasn't hurt. Now I could have dropped the gloves and gone after him right then, but I thought, no. He needs to know what this is like, and he needs to know he can't do this again. So I got up, and I waited. And the next time he skated in with the puck, I went at him, full head of steam. But he saw me coming, and he got out of the way. So I missed him. Now, not only did I miss him, but I went barreling into the planter next to the driveway. So I learned a lesson about revenge that day. Which brings me to the Carolina Hurricanes. <laughs> Are Tom Dundon, Don Waddell, and company about to go barreling into the planter here? Yes. I mean, you're, of course, referring to the uh, Cockney Emmy offer sheet that they, they signed him to uh, as revenge for when Montreal a few years ago signed Sebastian Ajo to an offer sheet. Uh, we've talked, you and I have talked many times when it comes to restricted free agents, these offer, these offer sheets are, are kind of considered, you know, something you just don't do. There's that gentleman's agreement amongst all GMs that we won't do that to each other. Um, why would we want to, to give these young players money that we have to then deal with against our cap? If we all kind of agree not to do this for each other, we can kind of keep all the salaries low. Uh, but you know, it's definitely not collusion. Um, Yes, I would say Carolina is barreling for the planter because, I mean, this I, I there's there's two arguments to be made, but for me, I don't see a a, a winning scenario for Carolina in this. Um, I know people will say just the fact that they've put Montreal in this position where if they were to match the I believe it's six point one million dollar uh, offer sheet for Cockney Emmy that Montreal, you know, would be over the cap, and so then they're going to have to to lose a player just to fit him under the cap and, and keep him. Um, but, and, and so just by putting Montreal in this situation that Carolina was in a couple of years ago, they've they've won, right? Um, but to me, it's, they, they've lost. Like, like there's, it's, a, it's actually a no-win scenario for Carolina. Because you're either overpaying for Kakaniemi at six point one million dollars for a guy who's like at best a second line center, and and you're having to lose a first and a third to Montreal if they don't match, or you've screwed up Montreal for one year in a year when they probably weren't even going to be a playoff team because it's only a one year offer sheet. It's not like they're going to lock up, you know, they're they're going to force Montreal to lock into Kakaniemi for like seven more years at this inflated price. Like it's it's literally one year. I, I, I can't imagine a world a world in which Cockney Emmy signs for this much money next year, right? Like it, it just 
it just comes across as petty and i feel like you can't be you can't win a scenario when when you're just being petty you know what i mean yeah it's uh if there was any question about the intent or you know the pettiness of it the the $20 signing bonus I mean, that, that, that puts that to rest. I mean, this is exactly why they did it. Um, and I read, I read a good point the other day that I don't think this is Don Waddell's doing necessarily, the general manager. This, this has the owner, Tom Dundon, written all over it. And a lot of people claim that that Sebastian Ajo sheet a couple years ago was actually a favorite of the Hurricanes because he came in at probably under market value. They got the deal done for him at a reasonable AAV. But of course it was the structuring of the contract being so front loaded with all that money right away. And looking at what Tom Dundon has done since, especially this year with Nedeljkovic and, and Dougie Hamilton leaving and, you know, his hesitance to, to pay guys, especially early on, that probably did frustrate him quite a bit. And I think we're seeing the evidence of that right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, you bring up Nadelkovich Hamilton. It's also the coaching staff, right? I mean, like the coaching staff is one of the most underpaid, certainly for what they they've brought to the table for the last couple of years. Uh, part of that is Rod Brindamore. He doesn't exactly ask for a lot of money because he obviously made plenty during his playing career. But uh, you know, we've heard frustrations from coaches and and scouting staff members that have you know they're now previous Carolina. And, Hurricanes employees that you know the the team does not want to pay those people very much not certainly not compared to what other teams are willing to pay for them so um, yes that and that's again why it comes off as just extremely petty because it's like you're not willing to pay like all these people who have have done good work for you uh, whether it's on the ice or, or off the ice at, but you're willing to go out there and, and create this one year 6.1 million just very cockety Emmy offer sheet for like no reason. <laughs> just, just to get back at Montreal. Like, okay. Now I know what we think of this offer sheet. We think it's not a good idea, but I have to try and give Dundon a fair shake here. And, you know, let's, let's play devil's advocate for a second. Is this worth it to show that I guess you won't, you won't be messed with that. You shouldn't do this again because he's going to come after one of your players I mean, what do you think? Um, For that reason alone. Yeah, I mean, maybe it gives another team, you know, a little bit of pause if they were to do it. Um, obviously, Carolina just locked up uh, Svechnikov, so they're not, they, they don't really have anybody left that I would see as being super worth, do, uh, you know, submitting an offer sheet to try to steal one of them. Uh, I, I guess, but again, I don't, I don't know. I mean, teams are so gun-shy about doing it to begin with that I don't know that this actually really adds that much more to their hesitation. Right, agreed. And I think I get also the threat of it. I mean, we're we're going to make a stupid move that, that probably puts you in a better situation than you were before if you call our bluff. If you go after one of our players, I don't know that that's necessarily a deterrent. Again, because uh, if, if Montreal decides to take the draft compensation instead... Yes, they're losing a young center who, you know, has shown some flashes, but we're also talking about a guy who's three years into his NHL career and he has not lived up to being the third overall pick. And 
and if you're Carolina, all of a sudden you might be saddled with him at, at a 6.1 number this year. Like, and then you're just going to have to deal with negotiating with him next year, and you've, you've inflated what his price is going to be. As I said, I doubt he's going to be making $6 million AAV moving forward past this one-year deal. But, you know, other people around the league were saying his number was like two. Like, yep. so you're, so you're increasing it threefold. So this, even if he's going to take a discount next year, you're still looking at what, four, four and a half, right? Yep, at, at probably. probably, at probably the lowest. So then you'd be stuck having to pay him all that unless you're going to let him walk at like 24 years old. Like it's, it's, I, I get what he was doing, but I also, it's very foolish to me from a, from a hockey ops standpoint. And I, and I just think. It just makes him look really petty, and and if I'm a player or a, a coaching staff member or a scout, I'm kind of looking at this Carolina situation. And I'm saying, well, you're not willing to pay all these guys who have done a lot of good for you, but you're willing to go out there and and you know throw around these offer sheets just to get back at somebody because you have a personal beef with them. I I don't know that that's the most desirable employer if I have multiple options on the table. Agreed, but I will. Thank the Hurricanes for providing some drama, some excitement uh, into these dog days of the offseason mm-hmm. in August. Uh, it's great to have some big NHL news to think about. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, we definitely don't get much of that these days. Yep. So what we do have this episode, and I'm very excited about it, uh, is we have our first podcast mailbag. Uh, we asked you for questions on our social media channel and channels and everything, and you had some great questions for us. I'm excited to answer them with you, Dylan, and uh, let's just dive right into the mailbag, all right? All right. So we have Gregory on Twitter asking, how many wins will the Kraken have next season? So we discussed earlier just how good we think the Kraken will be next season, and this question kind of gets to that. But we're being asked to give an actual total of wins. So, Dylan, 82-game season, how many wins will the Kraken get? All right, so the one thing we know about this team is that they're going to be hard to play against, right? Right. The, sure. The, Ron Francis has made that very clear. So knowing that, I've looked at some similar teams from last year, such as St. Louis or Montreal, teams that are, you know, big, they're tough, they're tough to play against, but they maybe lack some, you know, skill when it comes to scoring overall, certainly depth of scoring throughout their lineups, um, or at least what they showed at points last year. Um, so they tend, they'll, those are teams that'll have more wins than losses most years, but not by a, a, a large number, usually where, where they kind of sneak into the playoffs or they'll make a name for themselves is in the overtime losses, right? Which of right. course give you a point and it helps pad, pad your, uh, overall point standing. So looking at teams like that and thinking about the Kraken, you know, Kraken are a team that's built for playoff hockey, not necessarily regular season hockey. I kind of came up with a 45 win number. So that would be, you know, yeah. slightly more than half the games. But I think then this team could also have like 10 to 15 overtime losses, which we've seen from teams before. We saw teams get to double digits last year in a 56-game season, get to 10 overtime losses. So that would still put them around or a little above 100 points on the season, which should definitely make the playoffs in this division. But I, I just I just think the actual win number is, is just going to be like slightly above, you know, 500, so to speak. Right. Now, 45, that's funny because 
I ran the numbers myself. I was thinking a similar thing about a lot of overtime losses being tough to play against. And of course, the number I come up with is 44. And I was hoping I was <laughs> going to be a little bit more bullish on the win number than you were. And of course, you hit me with 45. And I, I want to go 46 now. But um, yeah, I was thinking probably around you know 98, 99 points. I don't know that they hit 100, um, but 44 wins... That gets you 88 points off the wins. Again, you might even have 10 or so overtime losses. You know, 98, that gets you around that 100-point mark. Um, so 44 is the number I'm going to go with. Of course, you know, it's so hard to say exactly. It's a long season. Many things can happen. You know, people were very off the mark with Vegas year one, if we had guessed their win total. Um, so we'll have to see uh, where it goes. Yeah. So next question from the mailbag uh, at Tarzan32513 on Twitter asks, who will lead the Kraken in each category? Goals, assists, points, etc. So Dylan, let's start with goals. Who's going to be the Kraken's leading goal scorer this season? Um, I'm, I'm going to be boring and I'm going to, I'm going to take the safe pick and I'm going to say Jordan Eberle. Oh, good. Um, I, I, I think... I just think he's the best natural goal scorer on the team, and I think being out of the uh, the Islanders power play system that never suited him is something I've talked about before. I think I think he'll see his power play goals numbers tick up, uh, you know, pretty significantly in Seattle. So I think that'll help uh, pad that number and and make him their goal leader. Now I'm glad you went with Everlay. He's probably like would be the betting favorite for to lead the Kraken in goals. I get it, and I think there's a good chance he will. But I'm going to go with Jaden Schwartz. I think he's going to absolutely thrive in a bigger role in Seattle. I think he's a perfect fit for the team. And the kind of speed and scoring ability he brings uh, that he's shown flashes of you know, with the Blues, and you know, he had a rough season last season, but he's been going through a lot of things in his life. I think he's, gonna, he's ready to bounce back. And I could see him leading the team in goals. Uh, he was kind of this secondary goal scorer for the Blues when they had a lot of offensive weapons up front. So he you know, kind of fell to the wayside as far as attention on him. But I could see him leading the team in goals. He scored 20 goals or more four different times in his career. Um, but I think he could potentially hit 30 this year. He's going to have a lot of opportunity to do it. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that pick. I, th I think he's definitely up there i think really those are the two guys that we can look at and say those they're really probably the only two we could see <laughs> right could see anyone else i think would be would be a pretty big underdog yeah uh, it, they would be the the vegas carlson you know exactly equivalent of william carlson just yeah. going scoring you know 40 goals after scoring like five the year before yeah so moving on assists who is going to lead the kraken in assists still and who's the playmaker I'm going to go a little off the board, and I'm going to say Vince Dunn. Ooh, okay. Um, I've, you know, I've been on the record in the past talking about how I think when it comes to certainly like power play stuff, I think Vince Dunn's going to be out there a ton. Uh, he's really the only offensively-minded defenseman on this team, so I feel like they're going to really lean on him in certain situations. Uh, I think he's going to get more playing time than he saw in St. Louis with this team. And, and I just think he's going to have a kind of a monster coming out party uh, for the Kraken. And so I just think, you know, part of that is also the depth 
of the forwards. I just think a lot of people will be competing with each other, and it's and so whenever Vince Dunn's out there, he's going to have good options to move the puck to. And I just think you know he likes to he likes to throw pucks on net. Those create rebounds. Those create assists. So I'm going to go Vince Dunn. Man, I really like that pick. Uh, going with the interesting one for assists. And I could see the assist numbers being kind of spread out among a lot of players. That's kind of the nature of this team, where their offense is going to come from. Uh, and for my assist pick, one, I could see Jaden Schwartz also leading the team in assists, too. But I'm going to go with Yanni Gord. Now, I know he's more of a shutdown center and has certainly been that recently. But he does have offensive ability. He had 39 assists in 2017-18 uh, when Lightning hadn't played him in so much of a shutdown role yet at that point. And I think he can show that again, and I think he's going to be put in a position to use that ability as well. The Kraken are going to need him to provide scoring as well as the shutdown role. I think he can kind of convert to that more for the playoffs. But I do think he's going to provide a good amount of scoring for them in the regular season. And he's got playmaking ability. He goes hard to the net. You know, he can kind of create, you know, little passes off those rebounds, things like that. Um, I think he'll be around a lot of offense this year, probably more than people think. So I'm going to go with Yanni Gord. It's uh, it's interesting you bring that up because, well, one, he's going to miss part of the regular season with his shoulder injury. So it'll be quite the feat if he if he does lead the team in assists. And because on our roster, we have him between Brandon Tanev and Mason Appleton. So you're really saying he, those guys are going to have some good goal scoring numbers this year. See, I could see him in a different role for a lot of the regular season. The injury, the injury is uh, probably the biggest impediment to him doing that. Um, if he comes back sooner rather than later, I'm, I'm, that's my, you know, off the board interesting pick uh, for assists. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's look. He's certainly the most probably experienced of all these skill guys. I, I would say probably for sure. So uh, yeah, I don't. It's a good pick. <laughs> so. Points. We talked about goals. We talked about assists. This is where that comes together. Who's going to be the Kraken points leader at the end of the season? Uh, for me, it's Jaden Schwartz. So, you know, you kind of talked about how you could see him for, both for goals and assists. I think he's probably going to be top three in both categories, which on this team, I think will make him the point leader. Um, I don't think my, my Vince Dunn pick for assists, he's going to have a ton of goals this year. And I don't know that Jordan Everly is going to have a ton of assists, but I think Jaden Schwartz is going to be heavily involved in just about everything offensive that this team does. So I could see him having a good, you know, 65 plus point season. Yep. Schwartz is my pick as well. Uh, I'm optimistic about what he's going to do this season. Uh, you know, Everly is a contender here. Uh, you know, he could get enough assists, depending on how he's used on the power play. I think he could be in the mix. But I think Jaden Schwartz is, you know, probably provides the best of the goal scoring uh, and the playmaking. So I want to add one category that wasn't asked in the question, but I think it's a fun one to look at. And that is penalty minutes. <laughs> Who is going to be the Kraken's penalty minute leader this season? There are so many good options. Um, you know... <laughs> There's lots of big bruising defensemen. You could see an Alexiak. You could see maybe a Carson Soucy, depending on how they decide to use him, what they want out of him. Um, there's, you know, forwards-wise, you've got a guy like Brandon Tanev, who's no stranger to the penalty box. Although he's he's actually a pretty smart player. He knows, he knows he how to avoid that stuff. I was looking at his penalty minute numbers, and they are surprisingly low. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Um, 
I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to probably go Alexiak just because I think he's going to try to be a physical presence out there. And I think he's, he's, you know, he might lead the team in ice time. So I'm just going to say based on the amount of opportunity he'll have to take penalties, we'll just make him the penalty leader for the team. I like that pick. It's you know volume based. And I think you might get that. There's no players on the team that really stand out as far as a lot of penalty minutes. Uh, the Kraken traded away Curtis McDermott uh, to the abs for a fourth round pick. I think he probably would have been the favorite had he stayed on the roster with all the fights and whatnot. But without him, yeah, we really don't know. But my pick is Jeremy Lauzon. Uh, he has that edge to him. And I love that he plays as physically as he does. He's not afraid to push guys around. I could see him uh, getting a lot of penalties, you know, that way with just physical play in front of the net that's called. Uh, he's a younger player, so I could see him, you know, maybe getting beat a couple times, having to take a, a tripping or a hooking penalty as well. And I could see him fighting. I could see him being the guy that steps up to protect his teammates when the Kraken need that. Uh, he had 40 penalty minutes in 41 games last year, so he's around, you know, about a penalty minute per game. I could see him keep up that pace or even increase it. And that's one of the highest paces on the team already. So uh, I'm going to go with the young guy, Jeremy Lauzon, yeah. to lead in penalty minutes. Yeah, I, I like that pick. He certainly has the most edge. I'd say of all these guys. Uh, my only question with him was how much playing time he's going to get. We, right. You know, we still don't know how that all shake out, but yeah, good pick. All right. Next question. Uh, this one is from uh, Nick uh, or twisted wrister on Twitter. He's also got a YouTube channel. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, who are you eyeing as the Kraken's first captain or will they even name a captain? Now I don't really know if the Kraken will name a captain, none of us know at this point. They haven't really talked about it. And this is going to be one of the most interesting stories to follow in training camp. Of course, the Vegas Golden Knights did not name a captain their first year. It worked out pretty well. Dylan, what are you thinking as far as a captain? Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning towards they're not going to announce a captain. Um, I think the fact that, you know, training camp starts literally days before the preseason starts, all that stuff. I just don't think there's going to be a ton of time for um, any one player to really kind of ascend to the top of the locker room, so to speak. Um, I, I, I just think whenever you're throwing together an expansion team like the, like this, you want to give it a year, let, let all the dynamics you know work themselves out. You're really trying to focus just on building chemistry everywhere, right? Figuring out who's matching well with who. I just think um, determining a captain is not necessarily a high priority. That and, you know, in... For a lot of these guys, these are there's a lot of guys on this team that have worn letters before, right? They haven't necessarily been captains, but you have a, a decent amount of guys who have been assistants at, at one point or the other, or have at least been on leadership roles on their teams. Um, so I, I just think it's one of those things you don't want to like, you know, rock the rock the cart too much by by mm -hmm. naming one singling one person out as a captain while everyone is trying to figure out so much. Uh, all at once. That being said, if someone was to be named captain, I think it would be Mark Giordano, just because I think he has the most experience with it. I think he's the most veteran player on the team, and um, I, I think also the fact that he's you know he's only under contract for one more year, so it'd be one of those things like he'd kind of be a bridge captain if you felt like you really needed one this year, but you didn't know who maybe the right long-term pick would be. Uh, he'd kind of be a, a bridge captain that you could have uh, until you get to next off season, which would hopefully be more of a normal off season. 
Agreed. And I think the Kraken shouldn't be in any rush to name a captain. You kind of have to see how these things develop. Usually when a team, you know, if they know they are going to pick a captain, usually the previous captain has left or whatever it is. Um, they kind of see how training camp plays out, how the preseason goes, who steps up and, uh, you know, who assumes that role uh, and who the players respect. And I think you'll have training camp, you'll have the preseason to see that, but it'll be so rushed. As you said, there's so much else going on as far as learning systems, just making sure everyone gets to know each other. It feels almost forced to kind of name a captain while that dynamic is still a work in progress. Mm. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to do it right away. Unless, of course, I could see maybe Giordano almost naturally assuming that role. And if the coaching staff feels that, well, you know, he's already kind of doing this, it might be worth it to give him the C, uh, you know, just as he's already doing it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say Giordano would probably be the the favorite to be captain if there is one right away. Uh, if it's not him, I'd have to say maybe Jaden Schwartz. Uh, we mentioned him a lot already on the podcast, but um, he could, he'd could he probably be my other pick if they want a guy. He has more term if they want a guy who's not going to be just a one-year stopgap. Um, he's great in the community. He's a 10-year NHL veteran. Uh, I think he might be a good pick as well. Yeah, I, I could certainly see if they were to name like a Giordano captain that Jaden Schwartz would certainly be an alternate. Uh, and then uh, Yanni Gord, I guess, would be the third guy to throw in there just because mm-hmm. of his experience he's he's one of those lead by example kind of guys and uh you know teams do like to reward that so yeah so next question greg on twitter asks if maddie Beneers joins the kraken in april after his college season end will that count as one of the three years off of his entry-level rookie contract so the short answer is Yes, it will. But Dylan, why don't you explain why that's the case? Yeah, I mean, we can, we can kind of split the duties here. So normally, um, when it comes to burning a year of the entry-level contract, a player has to play 10 games, either regular, regular season playoff or some combination of the two. They have to play 10 games in the NHL, and that burns a year off their entry-level contract. As, as far as that contract being done, they have to play 40 games if you want to accrue a year towards free agency. Uh, that would be like an impossible scenario in, in this uh, specific example. Um, but when it comes to Beneers, RJ, as we saw with a lot of the players taken, you know, certainly at the top of this draft, they were, they were you know, overagers, so to speak. So why don't you explain why that factors in for Beneers more so than the 10 games played thing? Right. So the 10 games played is used for what's called an entry-level slide, where basically if a player comes in and plays less than 10 games, so you know up to nine games, that contract is eligible to slide one year ahead. So it doesn't count as a year off the entry-level contract. It just moves on to the next year. Um, but that doesn't apply to Beneers because there is an exception to the entry-level slide rule that if the player is 19 on September 15th of their first year of the contract. So let's say Beniers signs in April after his college season, he would be 19 at the time. And if that player turns 20 during that same year, by the end of that calendar year, uh, then they're not eligible for the slide no matter how many games they play. So Beniers being born November 5th, 
uh, would of course turn 20 by the end of the calendar year. So he is not eligible at all for an entry level contract slide. So if he does sign with the Kraken at the end of the college season for the remainder of the NHL season, it would count as the first year off of his entry level contract. So the Kraken will no doubt have that in their minds, be considering that if they choose to do that one way or the other. Yeah, and it'll be, you know, an interesting decision for them to make. Obviously, we'll, of course, see how well he does at Michigan this year. Um, I think there's a good chance where he's, you know, he's going to prove that he's probably ready for that and he can join them in their, you know, hunt for the playoffs and then potentially on a playoff run. Um, it's it's going to be fun to watch. Um, you know, it'll also depend on if where they feel like the team is at, if there's an opening because of injury, all that kind of stuff. But uh, I think there's a good chance he's going to be around for the playoff run, at least maybe activated on the roster, of course, in the playoffs. You got a little more freedom for that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Really good question, though. Absolutely. No, I like that question. And it's it's something we're definitely going to be looking at later in the season. It's, it's something that's going to be a big... Uh, big issue, big talking point for us at that time. So next question, and this is a fun one uh, from Jared on Twitter. What are we going to call the Kraken Canucks rivalry? Uh, he suggested uh, pig war, pound on the sound. Um, yeah, he wanted to see what ideas we had. And I will say, man, it was tough coming up with ideas. I, there's there's nothing natural that that really seems like it would fit. Um, but I do want to talk about pig war. Now, I was like, what is that? When I saw the pig war, but I looked it up and the pig war is actually a pretty interesting story. There was a conflict between the United States and the United Kingdom in 1859 called the pig war, believe it or not. And it was... This conflict that happened, you know, around Vancouver Island, it was over, um, it was a, dis a territory dispute uh, over the San Juan Islands, you know, in between, by Vancouver Island, and the British and the Americans, there was this ambiguity in the border agreement uh, in the Oregon boundary dispute where they left it, it was supposed to be separated at the middle of the channel, but there were kind of two places you could separate it. And they had both sent settlers in and it culminated in a, an American shooting a, the pig of a British settler who was eating his potatoes. Now the article uh, does state this was not the first incident. This was not the first time that the pig had gotten into the potatoes. <laughs> so, you know, there was a dispute troops got called in on both sides and it looked like this was going to escalate before the two governments uh did the diplomacy and de-escalated the situation came up with a compromise to split kind of in the middle of the two areas uh and everything was diffused but pig war <laughs> um it's an interesting uh you know historical happening i don't know as a history nerd i love pig war mm -hmm. uh but I don't know that it really has the mass appeal for something like this. But uh, thank you. I thank you so much, Jared, for bringing that up because now I get to learn about that. I, I loved reading about that story. It is a really good story. Um, and, you know, I, I do think it has some charm. It has some, you know, good, like, local history to it. Uh, my only thing is, like, it wasn't, it wasn't the U.S. versus Canada. 
You know what I mean? And I feel like mm -hmm. I feel like if it's going to be, you know, for today's rivalry, it, it needs to be something more with Canada than with, you know, the, the pre-Canadian UK government, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean... Go ahead. It's... <laughs> That, that that's what was there at the time it's what it's what you got but um yeah it, it <laughs> i'm sorry i'm just i'm just looking at this page <laughs> it's, it's all good yeah, read, read the wikipedia article for pig war like anyone who's interested read it i i guarantee you won't regret it i mean there, there's this section of it that just says pig that, that goes into the pig incident i mean uh g give it a read give it a read it'll be worth it yeah, and as far as rivalry nicknames go, um, it's not something we see too too often in the uh, in the NHL. Um, usually, it's reserved for you know rivalries in a city. Uh, obviously, you and I grew up in Southern California, so there's you know the freeway series between the Ducks and the and the Kings. But you know, like you and I were trying to figure like is there a named rivalry between like the Kings and the Sharks or the Sharks in Vegas, and there just kind of isn't one. It's it's one of those hard things to come up with. That being said, there's there's a lot of stuff to work with when it comes to the Kraken versus the Canucks, right? Obviously, the Canucks have the uh, orca as their mascot. Kraken, they're both things that live in the ocean. I'm, you know, there's something there with the underwater potentially. Uh, the fact that it is across a border, so you know, there, you can always work in border stuff. Um, all, you know, the Pacific Northwest, the, they got the same climate, same kind of, you know, region stuff. There's trees everywhere. There's greenery everywhere. That's something that's unique to the area. Um, the the mountain ranges, like there's a lot of places to look. But yeah, nothing was kind of naturally coming to me, unfortunately. Right. There's a lot of tools to work with mm -hmm. there. There's There's got to be something, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we thought about it. We... <laughs> We, we just couldn't put it all together, but maybe one of you can. Let us know. Think about it. I mean, we'd love to have a cool name for that mm -hmm. rivalry. It's going to be a great rivalry. It'd be cool to have a good, catchy name for it. Uh, until then, I'm going to think of it as Pig War. <laughs> it's, it's a good working uh, title. Yep, good working title, exactly. Uh, but yeah, let us know if you come up with anything. So next question, Scott on Twitter asks... What are the odds of NHL players playing in the 2022 Olympics? And if they do participate, which Kraken players are likely to go? So this is a great question. And uh, actually, I do have an article written on this, ready to go. And you'll be able to find that on the website, emeraldcityhockey.com, when the NHL announcement comes out. But, of course, we can talk about it here. The question was asked. Uh, as for the odds of NHL players playing in the Olympics... I've got to think it's very likely, and we should see an announcement soon, right, Dylan? I mean, yes. It, you know, gun to my head, if I'm picking one of them, I'm saying they're going. But I don't, I don't know that I'd describe it as very likely. I think this is one <laughs> of those things where we've seen time and time again the NHL and specifically the ownership of the NHL teams are very, very reluctant to send players to the Olympics. They will take any excuse they can to get out of it. So I think. Um, the longer COVID is staying around and relevant, I think the fact that there's, you know, already some dispute and the idea has been floated around of the USA boycotting the Winter Olympics because they're in Beijing, uh, or at least China. And, you know, if the USA doesn't go, what, what is, how does the NHL react to that? 
you know, I, I don't know that the USA is not going to go. I think that's, that might be a stretch, but, but I, I just think between COVID, between that, um, the, the insurance thing being all figured out, because that's always the biggest deal with them sending players to the Olympics. I, I just think there's, a, there's enough for the owners and the NHL to glob on to, to say, look, we just couldn't reasonably or in good faith send our players to the Olympics this year. You know what I mean? And, and that's, <laughs> I feel like, all they're looking for. Say, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, you make a good point. I figured after the insurance was figured out, that that was kind of the last major hurdle. And it, at that point, it was kind of a done deal. Um, but we haven't heard anything, you know, from the league, the IOC, anything like that. So I think you make a good point about there still being lots of reasons, excuses, whatever you want to call it, uh, for the NHL not being able to go. Yeah, we haven't reached the point of even, you know, national boycotts. That's something uh, that could actually be a factor this year. Um, so that's true. We'll have to wait and see. But Let's assume that they are and see which Kraken players are most likely to go if the NHL does go to the Olympics. And that's fun to think about because uh, we have, you know, a full roster of players now and some of them could be Olympians. Mm -hmm. Now, personally, I think the Kraken have three players that are likely to go to the Olympics with another four that are kind of on the outside looking in but they do have a chance to make the national team roster. So the biggest lock for me is Philip Grubauer. Kraken mm -hmm. uh, starting goalie. Uh, he's definitely the best German-born goalie in the world right now. Probably best of all time, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an easy pick. He's represented Germany many times before in international play. And they're going to rely on him quite a bit, especially being in that Group A with USA and Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, he's he's a lock for sure. Like, no yeah. question. So the next one that now I think is a lock is Alexander True. So he just helped Denmark qualify for their first Olympic hockey tournament ever by beating the host Norway in the Olympic qualifiers uh, yesterday. Uh, so he had kind of a minor role on that team. I They played... Uh, they beat South Korea 11 to one in their second game and true finished the game with zero points, which is uh, actually kind of difficult to do. So he had more of a minor role on the team. He's a younger player. I understand it, but there's only six Danish players in the NHL and is one of those right now. And as one of those six, I've got to think he's a lock for the team, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and you know, Yes, he may not have been like the driving force of their team as they qualified for the Olympics, but as you said, he was there, right? I mean, yep. it, that that kind of tells you he'd he'd at least he'd most likely get a nod. Yeah, absolutely. So the third player that I think uh, is likely to go to the Olympics is Jonas Donskoy. So he represented Finland at the uh, at the World Cup. Uh, so he's played for them before. And I think he would play a similar role on Team Finland to the one that he's expected to play for the Kraken, which is cool. You know, that top nine forward, you can slot in anywhere and basically just add him where you need some offense, some creativity, some skill. And I think he could work really well uh, with some of the talented Finnish players that they have as far as forwards. I'd like to see what he could do with like a Patrick Laine. Uh, but I think he's probably a, a favorite to make that team, even though he would be in the bottom six likely. Yeah, and, you know, as you said, his calling card is just 
offensive creativity, finding little you know nooks and crannies to set himself, and then all of a sudden he's open and he's scoring on you. And I feel like in an Olympic tournament, that's that's really at a premium. Somebody who's creative like that, because you know, much like with the Kraken, these Olympic teams generally they're thrown together last minute. You got like a week to get to know everybody and practice together and then you're right into playing games. So I, I feel like somebody like him, who as we've seen throughout his NHL career, can just, you know, he builds chemistry very fast and easily with just about everybody. Uh, so I, I think someone with his skill set is exactly who you want on an Olympic roster. Agreed. Now, there are some Kraken players who are probably currently on the outside looking in from their national team picture. But I do think they have an opportunity to play their way onto the national teams, depending on how they do uh, with the Kraken this year. And that could be something exciting to look at uh, and to kind of root for them. Um, Now, part of that is, like, they're probably going to be playing increased roles on the Kraken. So it's kind of an audition of sorts for their national team to show that they belong. So we'll start with a trio of Swedes. We have Adam Larson, Alex Wenberg, and Callie Yarncroke. So I'll start with Adam Larson. So he's going to have a lot of competition to make that Swedish national team. I mean, this is a country known for their excellent blue liners. Um, he's probably going to have to compete with you know Eric Carlson, Hampus Lindholm, you know those kind of guys to show that he could, should be on the team. Um, but it seems like he'll be given every opportunity to do that uh, with the Kraken. I mean, they obviously signed him to that big deal with the belief that he's going to be a top four defenseman. So if he's kind of able to impress getting around 20 minutes a night with Seattle, you know, maybe Swedish team gives him a look. Yeah, I think he, he's definitely going to be someone that they, you know, if they have any sort of camp, where they, you know, they're trying to, you know, nail down those last couple roster spots. I would think he'd get an invite to that. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It's it's most likely just going to depend on how he looks with the Kraken. Um, if if he if he looks just kind of like a you know a middle tier NHL defenseman, he's probably not going to make it. But if you know if if the change of scenery you know works well for him, which I think it will, uh, being out of Edmonton now, you know. Again, this is a guy less than a decade ago or about a decade ago, he was in line to, you know, be a first overall pick in the NHL. He's he's got skill, he's got talent, and I just feel like because he didn't immediately live up to that, we've kind of always viewed him as kind of a, a lesser defenseman or at least an average one when you know, he has been an above average player. So um yeah, I think It'll all come down to how he plays and I think what kind of role he's playing with the Kraken and whether or not Sweden thinks that they need that. Yep. So another player, another Swede, who, again, will have a bigger role with the Kraken uh, than what he's had previously and will have a chance to kind of show that he might belong in the national team roster, and that is Alex Wenberg. Now, a lot of people, you know, were questioned it when Ron Francis said that he was going to play in the top six, that he saw him as a top six center for the Kraken. Uh, but I think he means it. And certainly with Yanni Gord being out to start the year, he's going to get top six minutes as a center. And if he does well enough, I mean, how could you not at least look at that if you're in charge of Team Sweden? Yeah, I mean, we saw him kind of increase his offensive output last year. Um, he's an excellent two-way guy. He's very responsible defensively. I think he would be the perfect kind of third or fourth line center on an Olympic team where it's, you know, you're not counting on him to necessarily go out there and score, but play, 
you know, n not a total shutdown role, but but a responsible role uh, while still being able to create offense on that Olympic surface. Uh, so yeah, I think I think he might have the best um, the best chances of making a team Sweden of the three guys we're going to talk about. Yeah, and the third is excuse me, the third is Kelly Yarncroke. Now, this I don't think it depends as much on what Yarncroke does you know, this season as much as the other two because he's kind of shown what he is as a player. Uh, you can put him anywhere. He's kind of the Swiss Army, like Swedish Army knife, I guess. <laughs> um, and it'll come down to whether Team Sweden thinks that they they want or need a player like that that they can is very versatile. They can put anywhere in the lineup. And if Jan Kroak does look good for the Kraken, and you know, he probably will get some increased ice time, increased opportunities to score. Maybe the scoring numbers jump off the page a little bit compared to what he's done in the past. Uh, he could be an option for them if they want a player like that. Yeah, he's interesting because, you know, as much as I was saying with Jonas Donskoy, you want a creative player, you know, one of these guys that can, you know, think on his feet. He has good instincts and, and all that plays even better in international tournaments than it does in the NHL, I feel like. I feel like with Callie Yarncroke, his creativity and, as you said, his versatility is almost more suited to a North American-style game than it is to an international game because uh, he's, you know, he, he knows how to use his body. He doesn't necessarily hit guys, but he knows how to use his body. He knows how to how to protect the puck. He knows how to get in uh, passing lanes, and he knows how to get in scoring lanes and screen the goalie and all that stuff. Um that doesn't always factor in as much in international play. And so for me personally, I'd put his chances lowest of the three guys just for that reason. But like you said, if he starts scoring, if he ascends to a, you know, a really solid top six role for the Kraken, um, I could see a team Sweden bringing him on board just because, you know, he, you know, he might be like an injury replacement kind of guy where he's not necessarily in the starting lineup, but if you need him at any time, you can just plug and play, so to speak. So uh, it, I think his is the most fascinating to watch, him and Larson's. So the final player uh, that I think could be a contender, now I will admit this is a long shot, but for Team Canada, Yanni Gord. So we know what Yanni Gord can do. We know he is a great shutdown center. Obviously, Canada is going to have an embarrassment of riches at every position. They could go any number of ways with their roster. I mean, you could have Matt Barzell or John Tavares as your fourth line center if that's what you want to do. But I think it's going to come down to Canada GM Doug Armstrong's decision of, again, what kind of player do you want in that role? Do you want a more pure shutdown center who you can put out against the other team's top line and you know they're going to be able to shut them down. And if so, I think Gord's body of work makes him a contender here. He's going to have to compete with the likes of Sean Couturier or, or Philip Dano you know, if they're looking for that role. But you know, I don't see why he shouldn't be mentioned among those names. Right, and I and I might give him the nod over those guys because you know again you're talking an international ice surface. It's wider. It's it plays a little faster. It plays a little less physical. And I feel like his his style of shutdown game relies a lot less on his physicality than a Couturier or even a Deneau at times. 
Uh, certainly as far as bodying up guys and that sort of thing, I feel like he's he does it more from a skill and smart standpoint, which I feel like would play more universally on a Team Canada because you could match him with some scoring wingers and it wouldn't exactly be like this, you know, ho-hum offensive line. You know what I mean? Like he can right. hang he can hang with, with anybody. So, uh, yeah, I... I think he does have an, you know, an outside shot at making that team. So those are the Kraken players that, you know, might be able to qualify for the Olympics and we might see in Beijing. And that would be really cool if they could. Personally, I'm hoping uh, that we see NHL players in the Olympics uh, and it'd be very cool to see some Kraken players there. Yeah. So last question from the mailbag. And <laughs> this is one that... Kind of like the rivalry run we had a tough time with. Uh, it's from Joe on Instagram. He asked, can you guys come up with any catchy line names? And he mentions that he he couldn't think of any good ones. Uh, so he put that onto us. And, man, I'm sorry, Joe. There was nothing obvious that, that came out looking great. Um, yeah, we had... Maybe a, a Wenberg, Yarncroke, Johansson line, like a Trey Kroner line with some Swedes. Um, the uh, Triple J line of Schwartz, McCann, and Everlay. You've got Jaden, Jared, and Jordan. I don't know. Um, Tanev, yeah. Appleton, and Gord. That's one that we had uh, that we have on our projected lineup. I think might be a fan favorite line. I call it the, the tag line, first letter of their of each of their last names. You know, like game of tag, you're it. They're gonna be skate. You're gonna be chasing, you know, all over the ice. I I don't know, Dylan. You got anything? Uh, no, I mean, as you said, we we really tried to work on this. If Morgan Geeky centering a line, the the obvious choice is you know the Geek Squad, right? Something mm -hmm. like that. But it it is tough. I I feel like with with some of these line combinations, you know, it takes a little bit of time. Obviously, of course, we don't, we're, we're working off of our projected lineup. We don't know what the actual one will be. Um, but it's one of those things that takes time. You got to see what kind of things they're doing. I think the, you know, if Tanev, Gord, and Appleton do play together, as you said, that's, that's a fan favorite line waiting to happen. And there will be something there. But it might be that we're waiting for like a quote from one of them, right? After one of their big yeah. nights, Brandon Tanev might say something that then sparks what that line is going to be named after, right? You know, uh, a lot of times these are really formed in the locker room. The guys will refer to themselves a certain way and then that gets, you know, brought out to the fans as a whole. So um, it's one of those things I, I'm looking forward to having line nicknames, but yes, it's it's a struggle right now especially because we don't even know what the lines are are yet. Yeah, it's it's tough to figure it out right now and like you said, a lot of times it's the personality of the line that comes out mm -hmm. and that provides you with the name for it and I'm sure I am sure we will see some great line names. But if any of you do have any ideas for mm -hmm. uh cool line names, potential lines that could happen, let us know uh there's got to be something to work with there. Um, we'd love to hear your ideas. We will, if we see, see a good one, we will talk about it. Uh, we'll bring it up. Uh, we'd like to see that. Yeah. So that's it for the mailbag and for this episode of the Emerald City Hockey Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And an extra thank you to everyone who submitted questions for the mailbag. We had a lot of great questions. Uh, we were happy to see it. 
a lot of great topics to discuss, and I'm sure we will do another one of these at some point. So have your questions ready for us, and we'll see you next week.